Let's go ahead and take our Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, I told the fellas last night, uh, three times this week I thought I had the right message, and each time it didn't work out that way, so uh, this morning I was working on an outline for some thoughts I've had for a couple days, and so I asked the guys to pray for me, and we'll try to bring the Word of God to you this morning. We're going to start in verse 18. In Matthew chapter 1, now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When his, when his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. You know, so many people say they want to update the language of the Bible. I like that language. I like that language. That sounds a little bit lofty and uh, poetic and uh, yet conveys a great truth. The Bible says she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Now, we say that, but the implications of that are so profound. And um, uh, the Bible says, in Adam all die. And so uh, the seed of man is corrupt. God just bypassed that whole program and performed a miracle to bring our Savior into the world. The Bible says in verse 19, Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. A couple of things you might notice in this verse. It says he was a just man, and so uh, he knew what the law said about someone uh, being pregnant out of wedlock. And so his, his uh, fiance here is in that position, but he wasn't willing to make her a public example, the uh, gentleman in him, the charity in him. So he was minded to put her away, but put her away, that is to uh, divorce her, so to speak, in a low-key manner, to do it privily. That's what he was thinking. That's what the Bible's telling us what he was thinking. And then verse 20 says, But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. Now, you got to know, Joseph rejoiced to get that answer to prayer. He rejoiced. He no longer had the dilemma of what to do. Not that what he had to do was going to be easy, but uh, at least he knew what to do. And so uh, he is answered in his prayer. And the Bible says in verse 21, and she shall bring forth a son. Now, those of you that are old enough remember a day when uh, you waited till the baby was born and you knew if it was a boy or a girl. Now, gals get pregnant, and within weeks, it seems, they can know by virtue of medical technology whether it's a boy or a girl. And so uh, God just uh, got ahead of himself and all that and let them know it was going to be a son. But not only that, he named the son for them. Thou shalt call his name Jesus. That is, Jehovah is our Savior. And he shall save his people 
from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. And this prophet is Isaiah. The verse quoted is Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14. And folks, if you want to know the full meaning of this day tomorrow, and it's all of its implications historically and spiritually, is those last three words in verse 23, God with us. God with us. That is the long and the short of it. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and and took unto him his wife, and knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. So Mary was not a perpetual virgin. Jesus had siblings, and Joseph and Mary had a normal husband and wife relationship after Jesus was born. And in chapter 2, the Bible says, Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem. Now these men could have been any one of these things or a combination of them, uh, astrologers, or excuse me, astronomers, I'm sorry, not astrologers, but astronomers, and um, they could have also been uh, philosophers as well as prophets. You have an example of a Gentile prophet in the book of Numbers in Balaam. And these guys were probably a combination of all three of these. And uh, they are uh, in tune with the scripture and in tune with what God's doing here because it says in verse 2, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. Now, I want you to consider something. We won't elaborate on this, but it's worth thinking about. This this insecure uh, Roman ruler knew enough to bring the Jewish religious leaders together and say, hey, what does your book say about this? And they were able to figure out where and that the time when was now. And it's just amazing that their, their religious leadership wanted no part of this and had Christ crucified simply because it inconvenienced them in so many ways. And the Bible says, verse 6, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child, and when ye have found him, bring me word again, that I may come and worship him also. And when they had heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. 
Now, something to keep in mind in the scripture, a star can mean one of two things. It could mean one of those big blazing bodies in the solar system or somewhere in the universe, not unlike our, our sun, or it can also mean an angel. And in this case, I believe it was an angel because I don't think for a second we believe something as big as the sun was floating around just above them and leading them to the manger. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshiped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And we will come back to those three gifts in just a moment. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. And when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeareth to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, and take the young child and his mother, and flee into Egypt, and be thou there until I bring thee word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed into Egypt. Now, they are refugees. On top of all of this amazing understanding of this situation that Joseph got and all that Mary was going through and just having a baby, a miracle baby, now they're going to be fleeing, and they are now refugees. And verse 15, was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, out of Egypt have I called my son. And um, if, if you would, you could look at Egypt as a sort of uh, sanctuary nation for Israel, starting with Joseph, and then the nation of Israel being incubated there and multiplying and becoming a great number, and then Moses and all of them coming out of Egypt. Now the Son of God is going back there for a while for protection. And the Bible says in verse 16, Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceeding wroth, and sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem, and all the coast thereof, from two years old and under, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. And I one time got curious about that number. I thought, well, what sort of number would this constitute? And looking it up, and the best that I could get in researching it out, and all the different commentators that seemed to know what they were talking about, believe it or not, the number was in, in the realm of about 50 babies. 50 babies in that region that were at that age. Now, I don't know how they exactly figured out there were that many at that particular age, but that's what's estimated. And the Bible says in verse 17, then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremy the prophet, saying, in Ramah was there a voice heard, lamentation and weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and would not be comforted because they are not. But when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeareth in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise and take the young child and his mother, and go into the land of Israel, for they are dead which sought the young child's life. And he arose and took the young child and his mother and came into the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus did reign in Judea in the room of his father Herod, he was afraid to go thither, 
Notwithstanding, being warned of God in a dream, he turned aside into the parts of Galilee. And he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for that which we've already experienced in worshiping you this morning and in fellowship with one another. Help us now in these moments that we have in the scripture to come to a better understanding of that which you'd have us to know. Father, for your people, that we would gain a greater appreciation of what great things that you did in sending your son into this world and to be made flesh like unto us and to redeem us through the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we pray for anybody without Jesus Christ this morning, either in this building or looking in online. Uh, Father, we pray that this would be the day of days for them, the Christmas to remember, when they receive the greatest gift of all, the gift that Paul said is an unspeakable gift, the gift of eternal life through the Lord Jesus Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. I want to talk to you this morning about this birthday that we're celebrating. And I really think that Christmas is one of the oddest birthday celebrations that there is. People come to the party and bring gifts for each other, but seemingly not for the one whose birthday that it is. Um, a uh, Episcopal, an Episcopal priest in a large metropolitan area uh, on Christmas Day came to the church, and he noticed that in in the uh, manger scene, the nativity scene, he noticed that the little baby Jesus was missing. And with that, he rushed out the door of the church, and he saw walking away from him down the sidewalk a little boy with a red wagon pulling uh, the baby Jesus inside the wagon. And so uh, the, the priest walked up to him, and he said, he said, uh, my fine lad, he said, where did you get that passenger you're pulling around? And he said, well, I got him there in the church. And he said, well, why do you have him there in the wagon? And the little boy said, he said, I've been praying that God would give me a little wagon for Christmas. And I promised him that if he gave me the wagon, I would give Jesus a, a, a ride around the block in it. And... And so, I want to talk to you a little bit this morning about gifts. Uh, you know, really, when you get down to it, uh, many of us have, have done some shopping. I'll have to admit, I'm a typical guy. I've done minimal amount of shopping. Although, I, I did take my wife yesterday afternoon, Saturday afternoon, and drove her around for several hours. And believe it or not, we ended up up and down Eagle Road yesterday. Now, I consider that I probably won't get the martyr's crown, but if I get the martyr's crown, that'll be part of the reason I get the martyr's crown. And so, a lot of shopping for gifts, but you want to know something? I think uh, the greatest gift that we could give one another, in all honesty, if we're truthful as Christians, is the gift of really, genuinely praying for one another. I can't think of anything greater than that, than, than honestly praying for one another. Uh, in front of me, I have a copy. The family gave me this, but this is a, a, a copy of uh, Ricky Peterson 
after she went home to be with the Lord. This is a copy of her prayer list for me and my family. Um, it, it was found in her, her prayer uh, file with a prayer for all different sorts of people and categories and stuff. And I look at this, and I look at the things she was praying for, and, and honestly, as I think about that, I can't think of a greater gift than, than to pray one another. Uh, by all means, get people the best gift that you can with your dollars and your cents, but don't forget to give them the greatest gift of all, and that would be the gift of prayer. And uh, the Bible says, unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. And so what greater gift could we give to one another? And then to the Lord Jesus Christ himself, tell others about him. Tell others about him. During this time of year, people turn their attention at least to the name of Christ and uh, some variation of the truth of this, sometimes mixed in, of course, with commercialism and a lot of uh, unbiblical religious traditions, of course, but I think it gives us an opportunity to tell others. Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. The Bible says the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And Paul said, thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. But what I'd like to focus on this morning for a few minutes is if you look back at chapter 2, if you look back at chapter 2 here, I want to call your attention to verse 11 and those three gifts that the wise men gave, the gold and the frankincense and the myrrh. And the first one is gold, which speaks of the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ, the fact that this child wasn't an ordinary child whatsoever. This child was God manifest in the flesh. Uh, the Bible says, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And then Paul goes on to say in the cha same chapter that, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. God manifest in the flesh. God made known in the flesh. And you know, people have all kinds of different ideas about who Jesus Christ is. Some are cultural some are religious, some are otherwise, some are philosophical. Uh, you got the Democrat Jesus who is against Wall Street and he's for reducing our carbon footprint and he's for printing money. <laughs> but then you have the Republican Jesus who is against tax increases and activist judges. He's for family values and he is for owning firearms. You got the therapist Jesus who helps us cope with life's problems, heals our past tells how valuable we are and not to be so hard on ourselves. Then there's the Starbucks Jesus who drinks fair trade coffee, loves spiritual conversation, drives a hybrid, and goes to film festivals. And we could go on and on and on, but is that really the Jesus of the Bible? And this gold speaks of who he is. God manifest in the flesh, the Bible says. God manifest in the flesh. The Bible tells us he's the last Adam. The Bible tells us he's our advocate. 
The Bible tells us he's the Almighty. The Bible tells us he's Alpha and Omega. He's the Amen. He's the Angel of Jehovah. He's the Anointed. He's the Apostle. He's the Arm of the Lord. He's the Author of Scripture. He's the Beginning and the End. He's the Beginning of the Creation of God. He is the Beloved. He is the Beloved Son. He is the Beloved and Blessed and Only Potentate. He is the Branch. He is the Bread. He is the Bridegroom. He is the Bright and Morning Star. He's the brightness of his Father's glory. The scriptures go on to tell us in Hebrews that he is the captain of our salvation. He was the carpenter, the chief cornerstone, the chiefest among 10,000, the child, the Christ, the Christ of God, Christ the chosen of God, Christ the Son of God. He's the creator of all things, Christ the Son of the Blessed, the consolation of Israel, the counselor, the covenant. The day spring, the deliverer, the desire of nations, the door, the elect, Emmanuel, the ensign, the everlasting father, the faithful and true witness, the finisher of our faith, the first and the last, the first begotten, the first begotten of the dead, the firstborn among the brethren, the firstborn of every creature. He's our forerunner, our foundation, our fountain. Our friend, he is the gift of God, the glory of God, the glory of Israel. He is God himself. He was the good master, the governor, and the head, the heir of all things, our high priest, the holy one, the hope of glory, the horn of salvation, the I am, the image of God, Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, the judge of all, the just one, the king, the king of glory the King of kings, the King over all the earth, the Lamb, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world, the leader, the life, the light, the everlasting light, the light of the world, the light of Gentiles, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the living bread, the living stone, the Lord, the Lord from heaven. And all along, the Bible says in the book of Colossians that he should have the preeminence that he should have the preeminence. Folks, when we consider that the world is least paying some attention on this day, we that know him should understand that he is everything. He made everything, and it is for him and to him and through him and back to him someday it will all go. He is the Lord of hosts, the Lord of the Sabbath, the Lord of the dead and the living, the Lord and Savior, the Lord our righteousness, he was man, he was the master, the mediator, the Messiah, the mighty God, the morning star. He was a Nazarene, the offspring of David, and the only begotten of the Father. Our Passover, our great physician, the plant of renown, the potentate, the power of God, the precious cornerstone, priest, prince, prophet, rabbi, redeemer, resurrection, righteousness, the righteous branch, the righteous servant, the righteous judge, our rock, our root, the root of David, the rose of Sharon, the ruler, our sanctification, <coughs> our savior, the scepter, the second man, the promised seed, the seed of Abraham, the seed of David, the servant, the shepherd and bishop of our souls, Shiloh, the son of 
a, a son, a son of the Father, the son of the blessed, the son of the highest, the son of the most high God, the son of God, the son of man, the son of David, the son of Mary, the star, the stone, the son of righteousness, the sure foundation, our surety, a teacher, a tried stone, true, the true God, the true vine, the truth itself, very Christ, the way, the truth, and the life, our wisdom, the witness, the wonderful, the word, the word of God, the young child. Bottom line, he's God Almighty. He's the beginning and the end. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He is everything, folks. He is absolutely everything. And we see this in the gold. We see this in the gold. History attests to this. Someone once said, here is a man who was born in an obscure village, the child of a peasant woman. He grew up in another village. He worked in a carpenter shop until he was 30. For three years, he was an itinerant preacher. He never owned a home. He never wrote a book. He never held an office. <coughs> he never had a family. He never went to college. He never put his foot inside a big city. He never traveled 200 miles from the place he was born. He never did one of the things that usually accompany greatness. He had no credentials but himself. While still a young man, the tide of popular opinion turned against him. His friends ran away. One of them denied him. He was turned over to his enemies. He went through the mockery of a trial. He was nailed upon a cross between two thieves. While he was dying, his executioners gambled for the only piece of property he had on this earth. That is his coat. And when he was dead, he was laid in a borrowed grave through the pity of a friend. Nineteen long centuries have come and gone, and today he is the centerpiece of the human race and the leader of the column of progress. We are well within the mark when we say that all the armies that ever marched, all the navies that were ever built, all the parliaments that ever sat, and all the kings that ever reigned put together have not affected the life of man upon this earth or as powerfully as that one solitary life. The gold, the gold. The Bible says, but under the sun he saith, thy throne, O God, is forever and ever a scepter of righteousness. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And now we see God with us, we see the majesty of it, we see the mystery of it, and we see the mercy of it in all that we see in the scriptures. And for me to exhaust this particular subject this morning, I'd have to read to you every verse from Genesis 1-1 to the end of Revelation chapter 22, because in the end, it's all about him. And so we see the goal. But notice the next thing that they brought. The next thing they brought was frankincense, frankincense. And so what does the frankincense represent? It represents prayer. It repre represents in the Old Testament that incense that was constantly coming up from the altar of incense. And, and God saw it as a, a savor. And it represents prayer. <clears throat> and it speaks of the Lord Jesus Christ as our high priest 
Now we talked about prayer being a great gift that we can give to one another. But I want you to see that Jesus gave that gift to us long ago. Take your Bibles and go to John chapter 17. John chapter 17. And in this prayer we see the Lord Jesus Christ as our high priest. Verse 1. These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify thy son that thy son also may glorify thee as thou hast given him power over all flesh that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal that they might know thee the only true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of all the world. Thine they were, (coughs) and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. Now they have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came out from thee, And they have believed that thou didst send me. And I want you to notice verse 9. I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. Folks, the Lord Jesus Christ has been praying for us ever since. And he is our high priest at the right hand of the Father. And if you know him this morning, he is your intercessor. He is your mediator. The Bible says there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Uh, Just yesterday evening, praying at men's prayer meeting, I was praying there with uh, Dylan Lockwood and I were praying together. And uh, I was just thinking and we were praying on the merits of our high priest, Jesus Christ. Folks, without him... Without him, we have no basis to even come to God and talk to God. But because of him, the Bible says we can come to the throne of grace and we can approach it boldly. We can come boldly. Now, that doesn't mean we come flippantly, but it means we can come without fear of rejection. We can come without being uh, rebuffed and knowing that we're not going to be turned away because we come in his person and we come on his matter, merits. Uh, the plant that the frankincense came from <coughs> was considered very rare and consequence, consequently this frankincense, this, this incense was so rare and so valuable, it was considered more valuable even than gold. And I would suggest to you this morning that true prayer, true prayer is like that. It's more valuable than gold, folks, because it is so rare. And then the last one, if you'll take a look with me at our verse again, chapter 2, verse 11 in the book of Matthew, notice that third gift that they bring. Notice the third gift that they bring. They bring myrrh. They bring myrrh. Myrrh was used in embalming. It too, likewise, was very rare and very precious. And uh, it suggests Christ's suffering for us as he was born to die for us. That was the purpose of Christ coming into the world 
that he might be born to die for us. If our greatest need, someone said, had been information, God would have sent an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent us an economist. But since our greatest need was forgiveness, God sent us a Savior. Born to die. Take your Bibles and turn to Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah chapter 53, and this is arguably the greatest chapter in the Old Testament, prophetically speaking of Jesus Christ. And I want us to take a look at this chapter because this speaks of the myrrh. This speaks of that suffering. And if you'll notice the first three verses, we see the suffering of rejection. We see the suffering of rejection. Look at verse 3. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And then notice this sad statement. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Folks, the patriarch of the family wasn't welcome. The architect of the universe was not known on the planet that he put man and created man. He was rejected. Uh, notice verses four through six. In verses one through three, we have the suffering of rejection. In verses four through six, we have the suffering of burden bearing. The suffering of burden bearing. It says in verse four, surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. Do you know, when you look at the life of Jesus in the four Gospels during his earthly ministry, you realize that for the most part, they did not bring Jesus their joys, they did not bring Jesus their happiness and their blessings, but they brought Jesus their sorrows. They brought Jesus the diseased, they brought Jesus their disputes, their doubts, their fears, and their dissensions. They brought Jesus their questions and misgivings. They brought Jesus their unbelief and sin. They brought Jesus the demon-possessed. They brought Jesus their, their poverty. They brought Jesus their, their trick questions. They brought Jesus the dregs of society. They brought Jesus their hunger, their thirst, and their needs. And finally he was met with their ultimate hatred, the cross, the cruel Roman cross, to die on that cross. And folks, this morning he thirsted that our thirst might be quenched. He hungered that we might partake of the bread of life. He drank of the dregs of sin that God will remember my sins and iniquities no more. He was separated from his father that God might remove my transgressions as far as the east is from the west. And he wore the scarlet of my sin that I might be whiter than snow. He bore up under our burdens that we might be made free. And folks, that's just getting started. Myrrh. Notice also in chapter 53 of Isaiah verses 7 through 9, we see the suffering of innocence. We see the suffering of innocence. 
And the Bible says in verse 7, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. He didn't even attempt to defend himself. He was a lamb of God without sin, without blemish. Peter tells us he was spotless. He was the perfect sacrifice. John, John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the world. And he suffered in innocence. And then if you look at verses 10 through 12, he suffered the suffering of obedience. And the Bible says in verse 10, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hands. He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. The suffering of obedience. Thank God that he was obedient and went all the way to the cross for you and I. The Bible says that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show you that eternal life, which was with the Father, and was manifested unto us. And then we get to the last book of the Bible in Revelation chapter 1. Jesus said, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is, and which was, and which is to come, the Almighty. Folks, when we think of Christmas today, and we think of all the, the gatherings and the good times together, and the parties, and the food, and the gifts, and fellowship with friends and family, let's remember something this morning, that it is all about Him. It is all about Him. In fact, folks, that's what life is all about, period. End of conversation, folks. End of conversation. When the Bible says He is Alpha and Omega, the beginning of the alphabet in Greek and the end of the alphabet in Greek, the beginning and the end, He is the Creator. He is the one that's going to be throughout eternity. He has already defeated Satan, folks. Satan just doesn't know he's beat. But we read the book, you get to the end of the book, he has already defeated Satan. And the last thing I want to say this morning is if you're not saved, he wants to save you and give you eternal life. He's reaching out to you right now. He says, him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, he said, and I will give you rest. He suffered rejection so that you might have acceptance with God. He suffered burdens that you might have a place to cast yours. He suffered silence before his accusers that he might speak on your behalf. He suffered pain that you might have pleasure. He suffered guilt that you might be made innocent. He suffered sorrow that you might have joy and loneliness that we might have love. He suffered desertion that we might have a friend that sticks closer than a brother. He was condemned that we might be justified. He was bound that we might be made free. He was a prisoner that we might be released. And he was homeless that we might have a mansion in heaven. Folks, when the little baby Jesus came into this world in the womb of that, of that tender little girl, Mary, 
they had no place for him in the inn. It was all sold out, and he had to go into the barn with the animals. And folks, I hope this morning that when he comes to your heart, you won't turn him away. You won't turn him away. I would imagine the innkeeper sooner or later found out who it was that he had turned away and had his regrets. But let me tell you something. It'll not be like the regrets you'll have throughout all eternity if you turn away God's gift for your soul, eternal life through Jesus Christ. The Bible says you and I, every one of us has a sin problem. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the biggest question in your life today has nothing to do with your career, has nothing to do with your family, has nothing to do with your portfolio, has nothing to do with your retirement, has nothing to do with your health. It has to do with what are you going to do with your sins before you get to God in judgment. The Bible says it's appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. And in the end, you have got to have those sins taken care of. Religion will not take care of them for you. The waters of baptism will not take care of them for you. You can't work your way through it. Once you've committed crimes, being a good person after that doesn't take care of those crimes. There is a payment that must be made. And a sin against an eternal God requires an eternal payment. And God manifest in the flesh, died on the cross for your sins. And the Bible says the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. He died, he was buried, he rose again the third day from the dead, and he, and he is at the right hand of the Father, even right now, making intercession for us. And if you will trust him as your personal Savior, he will make intercession for you this morning. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning, and we pray for anyone, anyone within earshot in this building and looking in online that does not know Christ as their personal Savior, that has not had the sin problem taken care of, that they would turn to the Lord Jesus Christ and realize that he didn't stay a baby in a manger. He grew up to be a man and in the prime of his life was crucified for their sins and wants to give them eternal life. He said, him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. Paul said, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if you're here this morning and you've never received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, I didn't say anything about church membership. I didn't say anything about baptism. I didn't say anything about being a good person. The Bible says, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. If you've never received God's gift to you, eternal life through Jesus Christ by faith, would you right now, where you're at, sitting in your seat or looking in at home online, would you tell the Lord that you know you're a sinner? Just tell him in the best way you know how in prayer. He's, he's hearing you this morning. If you'll speak, if you'll open your heart to him, he will hear you and admit to him that you need salvation. Admit to him that you know you've sinned against his holy law. And the only recourse you have is his son, Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world and receive him as your gift of eternal life from him. Folks, today and tomorrow, there'll be a lot of gifts exchanged. And you only have two choices with a gift when it's offered to you. You can accept it 
or you can reject it. Will you accept this gift that God is offering you this morning through the Word of God? For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. God wants you to receive that gift. He wants you to spend an eternity with Him. But He can't take you in the condition you're in. He can't take you with your sins on you. Those sins must be cleansed. Those sins must be paid for. And the only currency God will receive is the blood of Christ. And by faith, you can receive that blood right now. You can trust Christ as your personal Savior. He will be your advocate. He will be your high priest and your eternal Savior. Heavenly Father, help those that are listening now to open their hearts to you. Help them to receive Jesus as their personal Savior. And help us all to be thankful for what you've done for us. And Lord, may every day, every day be a recognition of the great price that Christ paid in coming to this sinful world out of the ivory palaces of heaven where he was the star, he was everything and into a world that would reject him because of its, its, its satanic leaning, because of its sinfulness, Lord. Thank you for what you did. Thank you for loving us that much. And Father, please save souls, edify your people and help us, Lord, to open our mouths for you. For it's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and take our hymnals and turn to number 223. Number 223, Born to Die.
let me say from the bottom of my heart and speaking for Carol as well, love every one of you and hope you have a great Christmas. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we do come to you this morning and we just look at uh, everything from our families to our children, to this nation, to this church, to this body of believers. God, one thing we can do is pray for each other and hold us up from prayer, Father, for love for one, loving the brethren. And Father, this day, Father, thank you for what your son did. Thank you that you made that happen. It's a, it's a, a place where you, Father, you said you hid it from the wise and the prudent and revealed it unto babes. Thank you, God, we were those babes that acknowledged Jesus Christ as our Savior. So, Father, be with us today as we go, uh, everybody into their own place. And, Father, let us realize that all this is made possible because of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. So be with us today and bless everyone where they go to their homes or as they travel. And thank you, Father, for what you've done on the cross for us, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' precious name.